Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. So do you want to nerd out to Star Wars a little bit? We could do that, too. Oh, yeah, we'll make fun of Auburn a little bit, but... (laughs) But yeah, uh, it's Albert Hate Week. I mean, you know. All right, I'm ready. Let's do this. Thank you once again to the Mudbugs for playing us in. I am your host, Poser, and this is the Sneaky Good Podcast. And with me, as always, trying to make me sound smarter than I actually am, is my producer, Chris. Say hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. And it's just us today. We're just kind of hanging out. Yeah. We're having a dad night. We each were (laughs) late doing stuff because our kids ran long. Yes. Because... That's what kids do. Yes, they have no uh, concept of what your time is worth. So, Yeah, they have no respect. No respect. Also, I was at Little Kids Softball, and my daughter's team has not won a game yet. They're just not very good. It's, it's okay. But the game is scheduled to end at 845, and they wrapped up the bottom of the inning at 840. Uh. And they were up by a run. Oh. And they played the next inning. Oh. And we all know how this movie ends, don't we? Yes, we do. Yeah, they got run ruled in the last inning. and oh. It was just, it was so close. And I'm walking back to the car, and I'm a little bit discouraged. I mean, she, she played well, and you know, she had a fun time. And she just looks up at me and says, Daddy, did we win? <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter to her at all not go. at all well, you know as long as she's having fun man like it matters to her if she wins or not she just doesn't know until i tell her and i should have lied and i totally <laughs> should have lied but i figure the coach would tell her at some point so yeah. she go back the next time and that's witty like we did last time and everybody look at her like what do you mean yeah last just, time eh, she can't why can't why can't Poser's daughter count? <laughs> she's five. I mean, you know. Uh, she's seven. She's getting seven, up there. Okay. She she should know how to count by now. Um, she does know how to count. She just doesn't really pay attention to people crossing home plate. Ah. She counted herself. She knew she crossed home plate. <laughs> so as far as she's concerned, the final score was one to nothing. <laughs> well, good for her crossing home plate tonight. Exactly. So she had a good game, but it pushed everything back on our own schedules here. We were just running around watching the kids. That's just what being a dad is. Yeah, sometimes that that is all what being a dad is. Which is really fun. But they also have commitments on the weekend, which cause you to miss the Mississippi State LSU game. (laughs) Yes. And that's kind of irritating. That's pretty irritating. So you have to watch a rebroadcast on CBS All Access, which is one of the worst apps ever created. And they don't store the game for very long. I'm just... This is why I'm still play, paying for a TiVo and regular cables. Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't blame you. Like, I had to go through it and they're still putting commercials in it. I'm like, this is a rebroadcast. Come on, people. I don't want to watch commercials. Yeah. And it wouldn't, let me, it wouldn't let me fast forward through them. Ugh. Ugh. The only advantage to not watching a game live is that you don't have to watch commercials unless you watch it through the CBS app. Right. But the game was kind of what we expected it was going to be. LSU, you know, blew out Mississippi State. It was not it was competitive for longer than you would like, but it was close not because LSU was playing poorly, it was just because of the dreaded they couldn't finish drives. Right. And as a game problem, that's a, that's a bad hap- problem to have in a game. But 
as a going forward problem, it doesn't really bother me because it's not like LSU has shown a problem this season of not finishing drives. And this hasn't been a problem that's popped up over and over again. LSU has been really efficient and you're just going to have games like that. You're going to have games where you don't score when you get inside the 10 yard line, three consecutive times in the first quarter. Right. And better to have it's fr- it this time than against say Auburn or Alabama. Exactly. So this was the opponent to have that kind of game against. And I, Honestly, I don't really think LSU was flat. I mean, they weren't as jacked as they would be if this was the Florida game. Right. But I don't think they came out there and laid an egg. I think the the Vanderbilt game, there was definitely a problem with motivation uh, until Joe Burrow decided he he told the sideline that he was going to hang 500 on them. Right. (laughs) But early on, there was a problem with motivation. I, I think in this game, LSU and Mississippi State legitimately don't like each other. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's so much as a fan thing. Uh, there's not a whole lot of trash talking online between LSU and Mississippi State fans. It, 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 I'm sure it happens, but not really in our circle. We do have that little you know, combined hatred of Ole Miss, too. Yeah, yeah, we just kind of so. – Exactly. We get together and we're like, hey, I hate Ole Miss. You hate Ole Miss. Let's get together and hang out for a bit. But I think the players really hate each other. There's just – I think there's some residual bad blood from the last couple of years yeah. when Mississippi State was actually really good and kind of took it to LSU for a couple of years. And I think the last of those guys are about to graduate. Mm. So I, I think some of the tension is going to suck out of this game over the next couple of years. So you have just experienced the high point of the LSU-Mississippi State rivalry mm. of all time. Congratulations, everyone. We made it. But, you know, it was, you know, it was a game. And LSU went up. They're better than state. They drove up and down the field pretty much throughout the game. Um, I know LSU punted a few times, but I, I honestly don't remember them. <laughs> At least not until late second half. Yeah, because Zach von Rosenberg is almost becoming, you know, the punt version of Avery Atkins. Okay, Zach's going to get the ball. He's going to punt at a good distance. There's not going to be much of a return, if at all. And, you know, he just goes out there and does his job, and everybody's pretty happy with it. Yeah, like, it's Avery Atkins is amazing. He kicks it out of the end zone like clockwork. Yeah. Um, Van Rosenberg's not quite at that level. He's not booting 50-yard punts every time with no return. Uh, he's not Brad Wink. There's only one Brad Wink. But he's pretty close. He's, I think he's probably booting at like 40 or 45 yards each time. And you're right. There's not a whole lot of I, – I don't remember any returns on him all year. It, it's not like he's sitting there and guys are – He's having to make a tackle, right? There's no yeah, yeah. Happening. Yeah, he, I, I don't think – and also I think he's put his team in a good position to make tackles. Yeah. If there is a return, there isn't much of one. We haven't been burnt in special teams at all. It's – the punt's – the punt game has been boring, and that's kind of good. Right. Particularly when you're the better team, because it's when you're the inferior team that you kind of hope that there's a big punt play. Yeah. Because you needed that momentum to get back in the game. So, I don't know. There was there was a lot of little things in this, this game that if you nitpicked it, it could bother you. LSU dropped two touchdown passes. One of them, Chase, I think was clearly interfered with. It didn't get called, whatever. I mean, that happens. So, once again, not a going forward problem. Is anybody worried about Jamar Chase? I'm not worried about Jamar Chase. Yeah, I'm not worried about Jamar Chase either. So, okay, he dropped a pass. It happens. Uh, Derek Dillon dropped one that was, I think he probably should have had. He did get hit right as he caught the ball. So, let's give credit to the defensive back. Great timing. Hits him at the moment. Probably should hang on to that. But, again, it's your number four wide receiver, Terrence Marshall, probably be back if not this week for Alabama if your number four wide receiver occasionally drops a ball when he gets hit at the exact moment he makes contact with the football oh no Mm. woe is us (laughs) yeah I I thought the way you let off your your article on the site was was pretty accurate oh hum yeah, and like during the game, like since I didn't watch the game live, uh, I tried to 
get information on Twitter. And, like, no one was really tweeting about the game. Like, my my Twitter feed was full of people talking about other games. It was hard to get an update. Yeah. Just, I don't even think LSU fans were really that in. I mean, you're into the game because, you know, you only have 12 of these things. And they're fun. And it's always nice to beat a conference opponent. Yeah. But this was not the game that people had gambled the season on. We, we didn't have a whole lot of emotionally invested in this game. And to be honest, really neither did state. Yeah. I think for uh, us, I it was think... just a matter of, you know, getting revenge for 2017 was probably the, the biggest kind of emotional investment going on. Right. And you get that just by beating them and you showed you were better. And, but I think state comes home, comes home and say, Hey, we held them to under 40 points. We played tough. We gained, you know, we moved the football. We looked good. Yeah. We didn't win. We were competitive for a while, but, you know, go us. We weren't going to win this game, but we didn't get humiliated on national television. Yeah. We look like we belonged on the same field. High five. <laughs> and, God, that's that's such a low bar, but that's kind of where State is right now. And also, to be fair, that's where LSU is right now. LSU looks like one of the five best teams in the country. Yeah. And, you know, and, going back to Mississippi State there, Schrader, you know, looks like – he could do something for them. Yeah, it's – you're right. It's a, It surprised me. I was running the ATVS QBPI ratings for the first time this year, and Schrader did really well in them. He was he was ahead of Jake Fromm. Yeah. Like, he's been a very productive quarterback in his first year, and he's far ahead of where you'd expect him to be. Right. So maybe in a couple of years we're looking at a guy who, can, who could pull the upset, but – it just wasn't to be this year. This LSU team is too good to lose to this Mississippi State team, yeah. uh, particularly one with a coach that's already kind of eyeing the trap door. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the biggest news for LSU over the course of the weekend was the Alabama game when Tua hurt his ankle. Mm. And that is bad news for Bama, obviously. I don't want to say it's good news for LSU because you never want to cheer for player injuries. That's just right. Awful. But Tua hurt his ankle last year was the other ankle and Bama was not the same team when he played as a hobbled player. And he's clearly going to miss the Arkansas game. He's having surgery. He's going to be out for the bye week. Now he'll probably be back for the LSU game, but will he be back back or will he just be there physically? And that's a question none of us can really answer. But looking at how he played last year coming back from injury and looking at the history of guys coming back from high ankle sprains, chances are we're not going to see vintage Tua. Yeah. Yeah, The uh, something I read online said uh, last year when he had the surgery on the other ankle, he was back practicing on day 10 after the surgery. And okay. It was, it was ready to play by day thirteen, but like you just alluded to, wasn't quite the same two we had seen earlier in the year. But this time around, the LSU game is going to fall on day twenty. So he gets an extra week. Yeah. We'll but see. man, that's a yeah. It's and look, Alabama fans have spent about a decade making fun of Texas fans for complaining about Colt McCoy being hurt. Yeah. So it's not really like they have any room to talk about a QB being hurt. They're, they're not going to make excuses. And well, I don't think that makes the will, game easier. But uh, Yeah. And I don't even think that makes the game easier because it's standard Alabama. If a guy gets hurt, oh, no, they have another five-star recruit behind him. <laughs> right. So I don't know who their backup quarterback is, but I'm sure he's – Max something was, Yeah, he was – I'm sure he was recruited by everybody – and is highly rated and can throw the ball a million miles an hour, and Bama's going to be fine. So it's not like all of a sudden this becomes – and also Alabama still is the best receiving core in the country. So that's – even if you step back from Tua, from Heisman to just, hey, a pretty good young quarterback, he has a pretty good cast of characters to prop him up. It is a pretty easy situation for a quarterback to step into. So – well, it does help LSU. It'll make it'll probably bring the spread down. It you know makes it feel like hey things are breaking LSU's way. 
look, LSU still got to win the game on the field, and one injury is not going to make or break a game. And besides, LSU's got to beat Auburn first. Right. Don't look ahead yet. Yeah. I mean, we can because we're fans. We're allowed to look ahead whenever we want. I, I can look ahead all day. It's not like it's going to affect how they play. But I, I think everyone in that room is looking at Auburn. And to be honest, I'm looking at Auburn too because I hate <laughs> Auburn and I love watching them lose. Tell me, Poser, how did you come to hate Auburn with such a white, hot fury? Uh, I don't want to pin it down to one game because that's not fair. But I went to college in the 90s at LSU. And prior to the 90s, LSU and Auburn didn't play. They had played the earthquake game in 88. But it wasn't like a frequent rivalry game. I, I didn't grow up with an LSU-Auburn game, really. I, I mean, you played them, but they were kind of like Georgia. It was like, oh, yeah, that's a really good team, and if we play them, we play them. But it wasn't like you reserved your hatred like you did for Bama. I don't remember, like, nothing stood out to me, kind of like what you just said. I saw almost every single LSU home game between, like, 82 and 92. And so I don't remember any games involving Auburn being so memorable. There was what? I, I mean, there's the earthquake game. Yeah, the earthquake game, notwithstanding. Yeah, my freshman year. So that, yeah, that was pretty memorable. But I think it was '86. We were like co-conference champions with them, or something. Yeah, and I think it's because we didn't play. And Memories. yeah, beyond that, I don't really remember a whole lot. Yeah, there's just not many. Cl- I mean, and what's weird is when I when we did our history of greatest games, a lot of Auburn games popped up. It was just kind of weird. It, they just hap- We just happened to play really great games against them. Yeah. But yeah, there wasn't this deep-seated hatred. Like my mom went to LSU in the early 60s, and she doesn't hate Auburn. She, you know, she thinks she have a cool color scheme. She likes the bird, whatever. You know, and also she hates Bama. So the enemy of my enemy right. is my friend. So she's always kind of been kind of cool on Auburn. And I, 92 is when the SEC expanded. Yeah. And Auburn moved divisions. Well, there were no divisions before that. But Auburn, before that, had always played the Eastern teams. They were an Eastern school. And with divisional realignment, they got placed in the West so they could keep the Alabama rivalry. And the LSU-Auburn game quickly became great. And at first, LSU was terrible, so it didn't matter because – you know, Curly Hallman was our head coach, so right. Yeah, whatever. Though there were some classics. I do remember uh, the Jamie Howard game, not the one that you're thinking of, mm. uh, but the first Jamie Howard game, which I think was '92. I think that was '92. The first so. time they played when Auburn built the huge lead over Chad Loop, and then Jamie Howard came in off the bench, rallied the team back. LSU took a lead with like a minute left. And then Auburn kicked a game-winning field goal as time expired. I think that's the 92 game. But it was this really exciting moment. It was like LSU had been so bad. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, you can taste it. But again, that game wasn't about Auburn. It was about us. Right. It really wasn't until DiNardo got there. And he's, he declared it was the bring back the magic game before the game happened which is still my favorite thing about that game. I mean, think about that. LSU had been terrible for six years, six straight losing seasons. Yep. And he shows up. He's a rookie head coach from Vanderbilt that we didn't even want. He was our second choice, and everybody knew it. Yep. And he said, this game against Auburn, a team that had blown out LSU – a year or two prior, you know, they had just come off a national championship. Well, they didn't win the national championship because they were on probation, but they're coming off an undefeated year. And he says, this is the bring back the magic game in advance and then delivers on the promise. And it was awesome. And we didn't charge the field, but that game was electric. Just it was so loud and everyone was going crazy. And I think that's where the germ of it happened. And then right after that, from about 96 
to 2000, 2001, Bama was bad. Or not bad. They were a 500 team. They weren't great. And the SEC West pretty much every year came down to LSU and Auburn. And we played like the first week mm. of the SEC schedule. Yeah, they were usually – yeah, they were always the first SEC game. Sometimes we played Mississippi State first. But yeah, like it was one It was one or two. Always you would play by month. And you play them in September, and so you knew by September 30th what kind of year LSU was going to have because there was almost no coming back from it. So if you beat Auburn, LSU was a title contender, and if you lost to Auburn, you weren't. And very quickly, because that game was such a bellwether in the 90s, you just grew to hate Auburn because they stood in the way and it ruined the season right off the bat. Mm. It's not like now where Alabama ruins it at the end. At least you got to enjoy the two months lead up. Right. <laughs> you lose in September, dude, that's brutal. And, and so I think that's where it really, and then of course, you know, you have the interception game, which I no, we don't like to talk about the other Jamie Howard game, the one you are thinking of. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, that was awful. I mean, at least it got Curly Hallman fired. We we just played a series of really close, really good games in which freaky things happened. Yeah, and that's great for a rivalry. We played a bunch of important games, and. It was new to us because we had just wandered through the wilderness of being bad. And it was kind of nice that it wasn't Alabama that we had to go through. And also, it was new for Auburn because Auburn has always kind of played second fiddle to Bama. So to them, we were this team that stood in their way. And they couldn't believe that LSU, of all teams, was now in their way. As much as Auburn and Alabama talk about how much they hate each other, they're family. If your mom went to Auburn... Maybe your dad didn't go, but you have an uncle that went to Bama. Right. You, know, you go to school, there's Auburn, Alabama. Like everybody's Auburn, Alabama. And it's part of your daily life. There are people in your family, in your church, at your work who went to the other school. Yeah. So there, as much as you want to say you hate them, they're still you. Like, you know, there's not a whole lot different. LSU and Auburn don't have that kind of link. And we don't have that history where, oh, hey, remember that game back in 1964? You know, we just – we did not build this rivalry on on friendship and comedy. It is built on hatred and really good games. And there was nothing else there other than that. And so it got really intense because it wasn't that you went to church with people who were Auburn grads. Right. And I think that's what made, they were easier to hate because of that. And God, I love hating Auburn. It's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> I think one thing that stands out, something you just said about how somebody at work or somebody at church, you know, went to Auburn. Okay. So, you know, big confession time. My best friend is an Auburn alum. Ooh. Yeah. But one of the insights, <laughs> one of the insights he kind of gave me was that, Alabama and LSU are very similar in the sense that even if you didn't go there, that's kind of the school you root for. Yeah. And, you know, especially in Louisiana where LSU is the only, you know, major school as much as ULL would like to try to change our minds. Um, LSU is it in the state of Louisiana. But in Alabama, you do have Auburn. So, you know, we're there on the the eastern border. But he said, you know, his, his, his parents had a mixed marriage, you know. His dad was was an Auburn alum, and his mom was a Bama alum. Right. And he uh, he said that uh, he picked Auburn because that was a connection to his dad. His dad passed away when he was a teenager, rather suddenly, and that was like a connection he wanted to have with, with his father. Was he wanted to go to Auburn, and he found that in the social circles that his family ran in, that was pretty much the deal. Was that there were lots of Alabama fans but not a lot of Alabama alums. But all the Auburn people you ran into, they were graduates of that school. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't think Auburn has a very big sidewalk fan base. Yeah. That, that makes sense. And for the reasons you state, it's, it's, it, they don't have the name of the state yeah. you know, on their helmet. It's, 
you know, it's LSU. It's the school of Louisiana. Yeah. And they, they represent all of Louisiana in a way that Auburn will never represent all of Alabama. Exactly. And, and yeah, there, there's definitely something to that. Yeah. If I'm wearing my LSU gear out and somebody sees me, they don't know whether I'm a fan or whether I went there. Mm-hmm. If you're wearing an Auburn shirt, the odds are a lot better you went there. I think you're right. Yeah. If you're wearing a Bama shirt, there's almost no chance you went there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just, you know, that's just how it is. And I mean, I joke about it and I like making fun of them and I do hate them. I, and I, I hope their campus is swallowed up into the earth and <laughs> that uh, then FEMA comes by and sows their fields with salt so they can never grow anything again. But that said, I, I enjoy the rivalry. I, I like hating Auburn. It's fun. Yeah. And this is what college football is built on is you play the same team year after year after year after year and you build up just these these grudges. And look, Auburn smoked cigars, victory cigars, in Tiger Stadium at midfield in 1999 and has not won in Tiger Stadium since. So I really hope those cigars were worth it. Because jinx. Jinx. It's great. Like, we even know what the curse is. It's like the billy goat. And mm. unless they come and, like, fumigate their locker room, it's never going to, you know, they're always <laughs> going to have that curse of them celebrating on our field. And they're never going to win in Tiger Stadium again. It's going to be awesome. I'll be okay with that. Oh, it'd be so wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's a good, intense rivalry. And also, we haven't quite had as many weird things in the last couple of years. Like, like in the 90s, we had stuff like one of their buildings burned down. Right. Like, like when I say weird things, I mean weird things. But, like, we did have Kick Tracy, which was awesome. Hmm. And then we also had Auburn forgetting that they had a running game and blowing a 20-point lead. <laughs> um, that still boggles the mind to this day. Uh, it, they had an elite running game. I don't think people just realize how stupid Auburn was in that game. They had a 20-point lead with a running game that I think was averaging about seven yards a carry. And their best back didn't touch the ball <laughs> right. until the game got within a score. And at that point, it was too late. And DJ Chark, hero forever. That is one of – that is the second greatest punt return in LSU history. Hmm. Maybe number three, but it's <laughs> – I'll give Kinnison's 100-yard return. Yeah. I mean, because that will never be duplicated. Maybe 2A and 2B. Yeah, no, no one will ever be dumb enough to return a punt 100 yards. <laughs> that's just – I don't know. We are talking about 18 to 21 year olds. That's so. true. And that's how that one happened. Right? Yeah. It was just like, yeah, why the heck not? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nothing will ever be canon. We know. Yeah. But the DJ Chark punt return is one of now one of those seminal moments. So I wouldn't say the last couple of years haven't been weird, but there have been amazing plays. Yeah. I mean, and before that, you have the Fournette highlight reel, which <laughs> it, it just okay, that's weird. I mean, like where he did his best Herschel Walker impression. But those last couple years, Auburn came in as the favorite and lost, and now LSU is coming in as the favorite and has to put this game away. Yeah, and that's a little bit different dynamic than we've seen. Uh, we'll see how LSU can play in this rivalry as the team, not just favored. Pretty heavily favored. Like, they are supposed to win this game. I think they're going to approach it like they approach the Florida game. And what do you mean by that? All the outsiders looking in are, are saying, you know, that this is the first real test, you know, that, oh, yes, all the great things about the new LSU offense are, are spectacular, but they haven't played a real defense yet, right? And Florida was built up to be not just a good defense, but an elite defense. Yeah, okay, that's and, fair. And we shredded them. And now we're hearing the same things about, you know, Auburn and this awesome defensive line that they have and yada, yada, yada. And I, so I think that the, from the perspective of the team, not that I have any inside knowledge, I'm just guesstimating, they're going to hear this noise. I mean, they've admitted they, they hear the noise even as much as they try to block it out. And so they, they know what the expectation of Auburn is. 
And so they're going to approach it accordingly. And I, I just think it's it's matching up for the Tigers very similarly to the way uh, f- the Florida game was. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think Auburn's defense, they don't have the secondary that Florida does. I, I think Auburn, I, Florida had a, has one, one of the best defensive backs in the country. And Auburn is not quite on that level. That's not an insult to Auburn. That's just Florida's that level. Hmm. That said, I think Auburn's defensive line is just as good as Florida's. And I think their linebacking core might be better. So, but Auburn has been killing teams in the run game. If you look at uh, uh, per game, on a per game basis, only two teams have averaged four yards of carry against them. Only two. And neither of them got over four yards of carry. It was exactly at four yards of carry. So you can actually accurately say that no team has averaged four yards of carry over them all season. And those two teams are Florida and Tulane. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, which is kind of shocking. Their pass defense isn't quite as elite. It's middle of the pack. It, it's good. Uh, you know, you should be scared of it, particularly the fact that, you know, as they've been talking, they can generate pressure. They can get to the quarterback, and that's always worrisome, particularly for LSU's offense. Yeah. You know, you want to keep Burrow upright. But that said, their real strength is stopping the run. And LSU doesn't really run the ball. So I don't really think we fall into their biggest strength. And on offense, man, Bo Nix has had a couple of good games, but Tiger Stadium's a different beast. I was about to say, he hasn't played in a venue like Tiger Stadium yet. No, he has. And I, I know he played at you know, AT&T. He played at you know, Cowboy Stadium. That is not the same thing. Playing a neutral site game in a sterile venue yeah. like Jerry World is not playing at Tiger Stadium or the Swamp or you know Bryant Denny. This is a place where people literally want to kill you. <laughs> yeah, and it has a way of making freshman quarterbacks look like freshmen. Well, and, yeah, you know, hoping. yeah. I, I mean, I think that's definitely going to play. I, I mean, he's a He's such an inconsistent quarterback. I mean, he's he's had some really good games. Like against Mississippi State, he completed seventy six percent of his passes and threw for three hundred and thirty five yards. And Mississippi State's not a bad team, so you know that's a really good game. And then the next week against Florida, he completes forty percent of his passes for one hundred and forty five yards and throws three interceptions. So who knows what you're going to get out of this guy? Yeah. Even in his big win over Oregon. He went 13 to 31. That's nothing to write home about. Threw for two touchdowns, two picks. But at the end of the day, he was great at the end of the game when it mattered. For LSU, the key is putting this game away so Bo Nix doesn't have the confidence of, oh, I can make something happen at the end of this game. You want to get up big and demoralize this kid. So how do you think our defensive line and linebackers compared to Auburn's offensive line. Are we going to get to them? I would like to think we're getting everybody healthy. It's, it's hard to judge how good LSU's pass rush is because they just haven't been healthy. Yeah. That said, Auburn, I think returns more offensive linemen than anyone in the country coming into this year. They've only allowed 10 sacks on the season, which is really, really, really good. <laughs> yeah. They have one of the they have one of the best offensive lines in the country. There's just no way around it. LSU is not going to sack Bo Nix four times. If they do, LSU is going to win this one in a rout. But you would like to see them get some pressure on him. I mean, he can't have five, six seconds in the pocket because then then any quarterback can pick you apart. So I do think that is one of the biggest matchups of the game. I think you went straight to it. Um, Can LSU generate pass rush against Auburn's offensive line, which is truly elite? That is their best unit. They're great at it. There's just no other way to say it. They have got a great pass rush, and they've got a – they definitely are great at stopping the pass rush, and their pass rush is – I don't think it's quite Florida great, but it's in the same ballpark. If you look at it, you know what they've done against SEC teams instead of what you do against Kent State because who cares? Right. You know Auburn sacked A and M three times, Mississippi State two sacks, Florida four sacks, Arkansas three sacks. I, this is a team that's getting three sacks in SEC play. That's really really, and they had three against Oregon. 
Auburn can get to the quarterback. It's a real concern. But I think LSU's offensive strategy is to throw into the blitz. Mm. LSU wants you to bring pressure. They want the other defense to bring an extra guy in there because that's one less guy covering our receivers. Right. And can Burrow get the ball out quickly? He's proven he can. Yep. And I don't have the faith in Auburn's defensive backs like I did Florida's defensive backs to slow Burrow down. And it's not like the Florida defensive backs slowed Burrow down. Yeah. So I think LSU is going to be able to move the ball. If you're an elite offense, you can move the, you can move the ball in Auburn. Auburn's a very good defense, but they're not – again, it's not the 85 Bears. Yeah. And look, you know, LSU has shown they can move the ball against a good defense. They did against Florida. I don't think State's an elite defense, but they're pretty good. And LSU moved the ball pretty well. The, this is a, an offense that has now shown that they they can play. Now, can they do it against Alabama's defense? We'll burn that bridge when we get there. I don't think this game is a cakewalk by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. On the flip side, there's a reason that LSU is going to be favored by about 10 points. Yeah. So any other games that you want to talk about? Yeah. Um, the one game I do want to at least mention, uh, other than Alabama is going to blow out Arkansas, and we've talked just about Alabama in general, Mississippi State is traveling to A&M. And who would have thought that this game would be this important to A&M yeah. before the season started? Right now, A&M is 4-3. and We're 2-2 two and two in conference. If they win this game, Mississippi State, I mean, A&M can essentially say, hey, we've just lost to three great teams. You know, we lost to Alabama, we lost to LSU, we lost to Clemson, whatever. And we've been taking care of business. We're just... We're not elite, but we're still very good. Yeah. And I think they could say that with some justification. If you lose to Mississippi State, you're now 4-4 four and four and you're struggling for bowl eligibility. I don't think A&M thought going to the year that the Mississippi State game might be the defining game of their season. And they're getting hosed because it's a home game, but they got the three days time slot. They're playing the 11 a.m. kick. Yeah. And that's a sleepy time. It's it's before everybody can get liquored up. You know, you won't get a fully jacked stadium. You know, it's some it's it's weird playing at eleven a.m. If they come out sluggish, A and M could be in their season could be in serious jeopardy. I don't think it's there yet. I do think they win that game. I think the story that they they can tell themselves right now is the correct one. That A and M is a pretty good team that just played a phenomenally difficult schedule. Right. But there's at least the possibility they're they're one bad day away from struggling to make a bowl. And that's delightful. a nightmare. Yeah, it's delightful. It's a nightmare <laughs> scenario for them, but it is, you know, it is a wonderful, wonderful thing. So and I'm sorry, they lost to Georgia, not to us. Um, they're going to lose to us later. <laughs> yeah, that's that game is not looking good for them at this point. It really isn't because you know LSU is not going to overlook A and M this year. No, uh, that is the game that LSU wants to try to put up seventy. Oh yeah, yeah. Like if there is a game this season that LSU was thinking, can we score a point a minute? <laughs> it's the A and M game. Yeah, because you don't want to do that against you know the Western Kentuckys of the world because it just doesn't look good. Right. But if you can do it against a conference rival, yeah, yeah, we'll try. Like, like this is – I think this team wants to make a statement against A&M. But once again, very far in the future. You have to take care of Auburn first. And then, of course, you got to take care of Bama. But let, let's focus on hatred number, number one first. Yes. Uh, hating Auburn is fun, and also it's a really, really important game. And let's face it, Auburn's a top ten team. I mean, we're kind of – Jumping around, I was like, oh, yeah, in two weeks we might play Bama. But Auburn is 6-1 and one and ranked number nine in the country, and not by accident. This is a good team. Yeah. And looking at Oregon, that Oregon game looks like a better win every week. Mm-hmm. Whereas we Other than Texas. That, 
Which look, Texas keeps winning, but yeah, that Texas Kansas game not not encouraging. I, I think Texas kind of just strikes me as a team that's playing to the level of its opponent. Yeah, which has traditionally been an LSU thing. It really has been this. You know, this Texas team they play like a young team. They're just not there yet. I, I do think they're playing better this year. I, I think Herman has them in the right direction. He's doing a good job. They're just. They're just not a contender yet, and, and, and that's okay. Everybody wants – everybody, A, wants progress to be linear, and they also want it kind of to be immediate. Yeah. Like the savior shows up, and suddenly they go 13-0. and 0. That's that's not how reality works. Yeah. And look, right now, Texas, what, they only have two losses, and it's the two top five teams. And they didn't exactly get blown out by either of them. Yeah. Honestly, Texas looks a lot like Texas A&M. Only they've played a slightly easier schedule. Mm. Though Texas's big problem is going to be when they play Baylor, because right now Baylor is undefeated, mm. and if Baylor can pull that upset, that will kick Texas out of the Big Twelve championship game and take away Texas's chance to get revenge against Oklahoma, because that second bite of the apple is really what Texas wants. Yeah. Well, that provides them with lots of motivation. It does. I, it provides both teams. And also, look, Texas thinks of themselves as the big dog in the state for obvious reasons, and they're going to hate stooping down to Baylor's level. So we'll see how that goes. Where's that game being played? Um, I think it's being played in Texas because I think Baylor – I know Baylor gets Oklahoma at home. Oh, there you go. So they tend to split those up. So, Any thoughts on game day going to the North Dakota State-South Dakota State game? <laughs> I kind of like it. Um, yeah. Look, they've already been they've already been to LSU this year. There's no reason to repeat. And I think game day should be about promoting college football in general. Yeah. And so the fact that they've found a big FCS game, you know, North Dakota State has been good for a very long time. So is South Dakota State. It's it's a good rivalry. It's it'll highlight something that most college football fans don't know a lot. It'll mean a lot to those programs. Right. I think it's really cool, and I think it'll be a cool environment. I love stuff like that. I, I think it's bad when game day gets too focused on the SEC. People's resentment towards the SEC in that case is correct. It's <laughs> it's not healthy for them to do game day half of the time from SEC schools. Yeah, back when Ivan Maisel uh, was doing the podcast with Bino Cook before Bino passed away, the reason I loved listening to that was Bino always brought so much – knowledge from past college games all from all over the country yeah and it gave you appreciation for the larger game and that's kind of why i like them going up there is it's like you just said it's exposing the college football fan base that's going to watch their program to these two football schools and what their programs have been able to accomplish and gives you a greater appreciation for the, the larger game and they'll talk about it for decades. Yeah. I mean, the, the people, the kids who got that game, essentially, who play in that game, that'll be a big deal. The people who just go to game day there. Right. Hey, remember the time ESPN came here? That's like I it, mentioned, it, there's a lot of people in both of those states who probably were not planning on going to that game who are going to go to that game now, even if they can't get in, just because game day is going to be there. And like you I, said, that's probably for them, that's like a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah. And I think. We overemphasize the national title race. Yeah. Like we make the entire college football season about nothing but winning the national title. And look, if you're an LSU fan, we're a national title contender, so I get it. But in the years you're not, there's a lot of other things to play for. And I mean at the very least, conference titles and you know, rivalry games and just beating up on other people in your conference. And I think we've gotten too focused at the top and we've ignored everything below it. And so you always hear things, oh, this season's been kind of boring because the top five hasn't changed. Yeah, that's true. But, like, you have undefeated SMU and undefeated Baylor right now. If you're not excited by those – or undefeated Minnesota. Like, these are really cool stories. And if you're so laser-focused on – from a national level of, you know, what's going to happen with Ohio State and Oklahoma and LSU and Bama – you're missing out on 90% of the games, and that's that's a shame. 
you know, I was thinking over the weekend, like, how great would it be if, if we had in the next, you know, two to three weeks an SMU and Baylor matchup? I mean, that would be a great football game right now. Yeah, uh, look, SMU beat TCU, and they play every year, and they, you know, they won the Iron Skillet. That was a huge game. SMU is going to play Houston. Uh, Houston's kind of tanking the season, so. Yeah. But, but SMU ruined one of Houston's undefeated seasons, as my wife will tell you. Mm-hmm. So she's a little bit bitter about that. She wants payback. Hmm. But I think SMU will win that. But then SMU has to play Memphis. And Memphis is a really, really good football team, particularly for that level. Yeah. And you can make a pretty strong case that game day might be, I think the game's going to be in Dallas, will be in Dallas for the SMU Memphis game if there's no other, because I think it's the off weekend of LSU Bama. Yeah. So, and I think that'd be really cool. Like, cause that, if SMU can win those two games, they are in the driver's seat to go to the Cotton Bowl. Yeah. And I mean, when was the last time SMU was in the Cotton Bowl? I mean, the 60s? Well, I mean, probably the 80s. I mean, you know, they were great in the 80s. They used to play their home games there. But it's just such a – for a program that was left dead and buried, mm. it is so cool to see them winning right now. Yeah. Also, games are cheap, so. <laughs> <laughs> yep. My, my oldest, his first ever college football game was at SMU. Yeah, and you can go down to the, you know, what is it, Park Avenue right there? You can just kind of – it's, it's a great scene. You yeah. get to hang out. Yeah, I, I love – it's actually kind of stinks that they're really good this year because it makes it harder to go to games. Yeah. It used to be kind of, you know, go to Mockingbird Station, walk all over there, you know, catch a quarter of football. It was very casual. Kids are playing. Now, everybody's jacked. There is no wandering into the stadium now. <laughs> no, everyone's invested. Which, yeah, which is great from an environment standpoint and good for the program, but – for those of us who just live in town and just were like, yeah, maybe I'll catch a football game. Bad for us. <laughs> it just ruined casual fans. <laughs> That's right. Off to Buffalo Wild Wings with you. That's right. And with that, let's hit the mailbag. Jake, what's no? Do we miss them? We do. Yeah. We do. But we wanted to nerd out to Star Wars a little bit. We didn't want to be judged. Yeah. And the new trailer just dropped. And I, I don't think I'm as big of a Star Wars fan as you are, but it's still in my DNA. Yeah. Like, we grew up with these movies, and it's just such a... The cultural footprint is undeniable. Oh, yeah. And some of it's just... Like, when they had, you know, C-3PO talking about, I want to look at my friends. Oh, my God. Right. I can't believe my... Ugh. Why do I care? But I do. <laughs> oh, my God, do I. It, it just, oh, it hit me straight in the feels. I was just like this. I'm in. Every time you think you're out, you're just pulled right back in. It. Yeah, so, you know, I was six years old when the first movie came out. It was just called Star Wars back then. There was none of this mm-hmm. A New Hope crap. Yeah, yeah, there is no New Hope. I do not recognize that as the title. It's Star Wars. And that was a... It sounds trite in some ways to say this, but it really was a foundational moment of my childhood. Yeah, pretty much the same way I think. Like my my dad's generation might have gotten locked in to to westerns when they first you know started coming on the on the television that kind of stuff. Star Wars yeah. you know, locked me in, and we're not going to rehash what's wrong about the prequels. Um, a lot, but yes, <laughs> I have not been overwhelmed by. This sequel trilogy, we, we could probably spend a good hour to two hours just dissecting Last Jedi if we wanted to. Yeah, which but, I will admit, and I know I'm kind of alone on this, I think Last Jedi is the best Star Wars movie since the original. And I mean that. I love Last Jedi, and I know why it's alienating, and I actually, the reasons I like it are precisely why people are alienated by it. So I get it, but I think it's great, and that's actually the movie that kind of pulled me back in. Mm. Well, you know, given all of that, I kind of approached the trailer with like my Grinch heart. Yeah, I can understand. You've been hurt before. It's like LSU fans in the BCS. <laughs> right. So I, uh, I was prepared to, to poo poo on it and darn it. You know, I just, by the time that thing ended, I was like, all right, let me go watch it again. Cause I have all the feels now. 
God, and also like the music, like how they reorchestrated it and played it more like a fanfare. Yeah. Oh my God, it was just you know, like it's still the you know it, you know it's still the Star Wars theme, but they're playing it in the high brass, and I was like, oh, that is so cool! Like it it completely changes the tone. Yeah. And oh. And apparently, we're bringing back certain segments of the different scores, like a Duel of the Fates from. Phantom Menace is supposed to be making an appearance ah. in the film, but but redone in, in a way. So it's gonna be really interesting to kind of pick that up. And yes, that's the, I already have tickets true. for opening night. So that is truly the greatest waste of the prequels. That the Duel of the Fates is such great music. It is, and um, Darth Maul is such a cool looking character. It's oh, such yeah. a great character concept, and to have that be a character's introduction and then never use him again. It's just, it wounds me. Like it's, uh, it's, well, he does come back in, in star Wars rebels. So, yeah, I know but that's not the same. Like, and I, I admit, like I, 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 I'll watch a little bit of the cartoons. I enjoy the clone wars. You know, I, I like all that kind of stuff, but yeah, they were able to it, tell some really good stories with, with Clone Wars and Rebels, and I haven't started, I haven't watched Resistance, which I know is in, like, its second season now. Yeah, I haven't watched that one yet yet either, and the thing is, my and this is where you get into your dad problem, my kids aren't into it. Yeah. My kids don't care, so, it, like, it's, they're also, like, my daughter's seven, and so that's still yeah. right on the line where you get into it. My son's four, he's not, he just doesn't follow movies like it's hard for them to watch and also star wars is paced like a 1970s movie yeah i I hate to say kids today but kids today are trained (laughs) to watch a movie that's faster paced than star wars was in 1977 yeah if you watch it with fresh eyes you're like wow this is a really slow movie because but at the time it felt really fast because movies were much slower back then it's just it's just the style of movies and how it's trained us as media consumers. And so it's, it's a harder hook on kids. It's also why younger people tend to prefer the prequels because they were the movies that came out when they were kids. Right. And I get that. Like, it's okay. You can like the inferior movies. It's, we're not going <laughs> to that yet. Yeah, that's exactly the case. You know, we're on the big fat geek podcast. You know, my friend Nathan's, just a couple years younger than I am, but our, our co-host Dallas, he's a '90s kid, and so yeah, the prequels are his Star Wars. Yeah, and that, and that's cool, and that's kind of what I wanted. I wanted the Star Wars to be their Star Wars. I thought that'd be really cool. And it's not my kids' Star Wars. They don't have a Star Wars. They're like, I don't care yet, Dad. And that just that breaks my Gen X heart. Yeah, my big geek Gen X heart. <laughs> well, speaking of. Gen X and geekiness. Richard Pittman, again, with my favorite Twitter handle of I like beignets. Uh, speaking of beignets, a little sidebar. Yeah. Of mine who lives down in Deep Ellum noted that a new beignet place had opened up down there. He did, I have heard. I have not gone yet. Is he, it good? He tried it over the weekend. Now, he, he said, now granted, you know, this is the best friend who's the Auburn alum. So, you know, grew up in yeah. Birmingham, moved to Dallas. He's not a Louisiana guy at all. He said it was really good. And you get three of them for four bucks. I have heard good things. Yeah. I just haven't been there yet. Because they do have beignets at a pop-up at um, Haute Suites sometime. Mm -hmm. But it's a pop-up. The line's really long. It's just – the beignets are good. It's just that it's hard to get them, if that makes any sense. So having a dedicated beignet place is a game-changer. I just – I'm going to the Auburn game, so I'm holding out my beignet love until I go to, you know, have Louisiana beignet. Coffee call will get me through. But when I come back, we'll probably have beignet in Deep Ellum. But I have heard that we now have beignet in Dallas. I'm very excited. Yeah. Anyway, Richard wants to know, what's the best knockoff Scooby-Doo show from the 60s and 70s? Jabberjaw, Clue Club, Josie and the Pussycats, or something else you may not have thought of? Oh, um, I think it's clearly Josie and the Pussycats, yeah, right? I yeah, I that one too. That's like the one everyone always remembers. I mean, that's super right. Unless you want to go as far out and say the Laugh Olympics, which yeah. had Team Scooby. Yeah. I mean, so it it's not quite a Scooby spinoff. It's a spinoff of all Hanna-Barbera cartoons. Yeah. But, but the Laugh Olympics are truly great. I'm a huge fan because it has Snively. Who... Oh, yeah, Snively. 
I'm a big fan. Um, but if we're talking just strictly Scooby-Doo universe, but then again, Josie and the Pussycats, that's Archie. Yeah. So I'm, you know, there, so. I'm going to have to, I might throw a flag on that. So I think I'm going to go with Laugh Olympics. Cause oh, I think Josie, sure. I think Josie and the Pussycats counts as an Archie spinoff. Okay. The Mets theory wants to know, have you seen the first episode of Watchmen and what did you think? I have, and I'm very, very excited. Okay, um, it hits it hits my nerd buttons. Um, first off, as a history nerd, I love the fact it starts with uh, the Tulsa race riots. And it has sort of started a thing on Twitter of people talking about um, the Tulsa riots of uh, 1921. I think that's really, really cool because it's gotten people interested in an actual historical event that is sorely underrepresented in our history books. Yeah. That said, the Watchmen movie is essentially made by a guy who read the books, loved the books, but didn't understand them. Mm. So he kind of does a shot-by-shot remake of the comic book without understanding it. So he gets the text right, but doesn't get any of the themes. Does that make sense? This, they've decided to push it 30 years into the future from the comic book. So none of the plot is the same, but it feels right. The themes are there. So I think Mm. they're doing the remake right. I'd much rather you get the feel of the universe better than get, you know, Oh, well at this point that a has to happen. Then B has to happen. Then C. it doesn't feel rote. It feels like right. anything. And also what I like about it is that since they've kind of flash forward into the future and they're using different characters, I don't know what's going to happen. Right. So even though it has sucked me in as a Watchmen comic book fan, speaking of seminal events from our childhood, yeah, the Watchmen comic book is, I mean, that changed my life kind of thing. That's when you're just like, oh my God, this is what comics can do. Even more so than a comic like Mouse. Because hmm. as great as Mouse is, it's a comic book written for people who don't like comic books. Yeah, Like, it's it's about the Holocaust. It's very serious. I mean, yes, they're using mice to tell, but it's clearly, these are the Jews and, you know, the cats and the Nazis and... So they're telling a story, and it's all just one graphic novel. Watchmen was a series of comic books, which was later collected into a graphic novel. Yeah. But also, it was about superheroes. And so it's it was the first superhero book where you're like, oh, it doesn't have to be silly. Yeah. And I think that was the great leap forward for comic books, particularly for me. And the show really taps into that. It feels like a very adult show. I don't know what's going to happen. I can't say, oh, well, this is going to happen because I've, I mean, I remember issue five. And even knowing issue number five doesn't help you in this, really. I mean, there's a, there's a few references here and there to yeah. things that have happened, but nothing that you need to know. It, it's it's really good so far. There's a lot of promise, but it's also one episode, so I'm not going to... Yeah. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. I recorded it over the weekend, so hopefully I'll get to that. Uh, yeah, so I, I tr- I've ruined nothing. I've hit no major pro- plot points, but it's really good. You should watch it. And hey, it's got Regina King, and so yes, I've always loved she's an actress. Oh, she's awesome in this. So, all right. So Michael Phillips asks, and we kind of touched on this earlier. How does Auburn's defensive line compare to Florida's? And we went straight into it. Um, yeah. I think Auburn's. It's about the same level. Um, remember, Florida kind of stacked their numbers a little bit against bad competition. Yeah. I don't think Auburn has done that. So while I don't think Auburn quite has the high-end guys that Florida has, you know, Zuniga really you know, just scared me. It's just, I think Auburn has better depth. They're, they're better all the way around. I think they're more consistent. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't think they're – they don't quite have that high-end. Hmm. But then again, that's – inconsistent we were just talking about Bo Nix like inconsistency can be a curse mm-hmm. in this case with Auburn's defensive front you know what you're going to get they're going to sack Burrow three times in this game mm. hopefully when it doesn't really matter that's what you hope yeah that's exactly what you hope well Jacob Hibbert's question kind of ties into this one how worried are you about our offense being able to score on Auburn not particularly LSU has scored on everybody yeah They've moved the football. Even when LSU hasn't scored, it really hasn't been because anyone stopped them. 
I mean, there hasn't been a defense yet that has really made me feel, oh, I don't know if LSU can move the football. Yeah. Every game has still been get the ball, score, get the ball. score, And if we don't score, I'm kind of surprised. Now, I don't think it's going to be quite that level of scoring. You know, we're not going to treat them like Vanderbilt yeah. or even Texas. But at the same time, I think LSU is going to clear 30 points against Auburn. All right. Finally, back to our friend Richard. He wants to know which pre-FDR president would make the best president for modern times. And if you say Lincoln, who would be second best? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, Who'd be the best prior to FDR? Um, You'd want a guy who's good on TV. Like you need someone who's personable and could kind of – who understood mass media, if that makes any sense, which in a way would make Andrew Jackson really good at that (laughs) stuff. He was a guy who truly understood how to manipulate people. Not my favorite guy in the world, but Jackson's very Trumpy. So if if you're looking for very, very Trumpy, if you're, but if you're looking for a guy who get things done and, you know, not care what the other branches of government say, that's Andrew Jackson pretty much in a nutshell. If he hadn't have died, I think James Garfield would have been a really good president. I know that's he was just a very good moral man and you know he was acceptable to all parts of the party. Also, I think Ulysses S. Grant would do much better in a modern world than he did then. Mm. I think he I think the failures of his presidency weren't so much personal. It was the party machinery was just incredibly corrupt, which, you know, still exists today, but there isn't quite the parties have kind of broken down a little bit. Um, there's a, you can go to the people a little bit more. And also I think his instincts were good. I think Grant was a very, he was very progressive on things like, you know, race relations. I think he wanted to do reconstruction while at the same time, not wanted to, he wanted it to be, Hey, why can't we all get along? Not, you know, stick, stick, stick. Right. I think he would have been pretty good at – and there's also something to be said for just, you know, your stand – as a country, we like good conservative leadership. And we're just – we're a conservative nation. I think progressives kind of forget that. If you look at our history, who we vote for, yeah. you know, you know, the business of America is business. Yeah. I mean, I think you could make a case for some of those like Grover Cleveland, someone like that who's just very businessy. But at the end of the day, the guy I keep coming back to is the other Roosevelt. It's Teddy. Yeah. Right? Teddy could do mass market. You know, he could mass market himself. He was a big personality. He could ha- handle disparate parts of the party. He could handle progressive um, issues while at the same time represent big business. He cared about the environment, which very few people did back then. So I'm, I'm going to go. Teddy. I think Teddy's the man. Alrighty. Well, of course it's Lincoln. I mean, well, (laughs) (laughs) that's it for the mailbag. All right. As we head for this week, I will be down in Baton Rouge this weekend. So if anybody wants to, you know, buy me a beer, uh, look for a guy in a dirty LSU baseball cap. There should only be, you know, you know, 10 or 15,000 of us. Yeah. I mean, in that specific cap. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I will not be wearing gold because I don't Sorry. think I have a gold shirt anymore. Yeah. It's a, it's the gold game, and I don't think I'm going to help gold it out. So you can blame me. You can send all your hate mail to me. <laughs> I'm not going to wear a gold shirt because I don't think I have one anymore. All my LSU stuff is purple. So sorry. I own white. Maybe I'll wear white. There you go. And I'm not trying to do it to be different. I'm just saying I don't have it. So, but the TDT guys, I should be down at their tailgate, and they always have very delicious food. Or I'll stop by Zach. And Zach, again, uh, makes delicious, delicious food. And he will welcome you with open arms And as long as you put money into the kitty. <laughs> and, yeah, we are really blessed to have, as a school, such great tailgating, but also as a blog to be related to so many people who throw such good tailgates and are so welcoming. And I always appreciate that. So before we destroy Auburn, thank you in advance to everyone who gives me a beer or any bit of food. You are awesome.